0: This is the Oh My God and Launching podcast, and first off, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in on this episode and listening on the podcast in general. Um, just want to say I'm really grateful for all of you guys who actually spend the time listening to me and my guest, obviously. <laughs> Um, on today's episode though, we're talking to Laura Tolloch, I think it was, uh, it's a Dutch last name. So I'm not quite sure I pronounced it correctly, but we are talking about HR and you might be thinking now, Ken, what does HR has to do with launching? And technically it doesn't actually has anything to do with launching, but you know, for a lot of us, we're solopreneurs or something like that, or we have a small team. And guess what? If you're thinking about hiring someone to take some load off and when you're launching maybe, then you would hire people. And that's when HR comes into play. And but we are talking about you know hiring, hiring process, subcontract versus employee. You know having a team versus having just one person. So a lot of good stuff in terms of you know from that first step of thinking of hiring somebody to actually having a few people on a team and how that process looks like. So I um, encourage you to listen to this episode if you're remotely even thinking about hiring someone, maybe just a VA for a few hours a week or if you have a team and you're planning hiring some more people there's some good stuff in here uh there's definitely a, uh there's also a link in the show notes to a interview guide some questions that you can ask during interview which is really great so definitely don't download that but um yeah let's just jump into the episode and listen to what Laura can teach us have you launched your online course with great success or maybe you launched totally tank and you just want to curl up and cry well it really doesn't matter
1: speak
0: I- no hang on that's my fault
1: okay <laughs> I, <was Yeah. laughs>
0: I got plugged in, <laughs> in the wrong, wrong place no problem but, uh, there we go now i can hear you all right welcome to the oh my god on launching podcast i'm your host ken Wesgar, as usual and today i am joined with laura welcome laura
1: thank you so much ken it's a pleasure to be here
0: <laughs> awesome i didn't want to pronounce your last name because i was really unsure but
1: oh it's dutch toll hook yeah. it's actually a lot easier than it sounds
0: yeah, Dutch, really. <laughs> so you have Dutch family?
1: Uh, half Dutch, half Russian. So it's like it's a great Eastern European slash Northern European mix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love that. Uh, today, we're going to talk about HR a little bit. Mm. Um, this is something that I have definitely not talked about on the podcast before. But um, when you approached me about being on the podcast, I thought that would be a good idea. Because obviously, a lot of the listeners probably have a team or thinking about hiring a team or just hiring uh, one person, maybe, or, or something like a VA, which I think is pretty common in the beginning, obviously. So we're going to talk about that today, um, all, all HR stuff. <laughs> uh, and that's your, that's your thing. Um, so why don't you just start off by introducing yourself, uh, letting us know who you are, what you do, and who you help.
1: So my name is Laura. I am the president and chief HR consultant at Essential HR. And we are a team, we like to call ourselves HR rock stars. So a lot of people, when you start saying HR, they're like, two things come up. They're like, oh, HR, I'm too small for HR. So Mm -hmm. number one, you're not too small for HR. Number two, they're like, oh, they're the fun police. And I'd like to (laughs) say we're actually pretty fun. We're pretty cool people. Uh, I don't like to think of us as the fun police. But what we do is we love helping businesses, helping employers, helping solopreneurs make sure that they're legally protected mm-hmm. and from a from a risk management side of things but as well as giving them options for how they're going to grow their team or best practices for how to engage their team so we ha- we help Whether that's um, through our signature program called HR Relief, where we partner on a fractional basis with organizations, or whether it's projects, we help in different ways around recruitment, performance management, those employee crises, or like we call sticky situations um, that come up, you're like, I just don't know who to call. And I don't want to call the government service line, because I'm going to be on hold for two hours. I just need an answer. That's kind of how we support employers um, and and our clients as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Before we got on this podcast, we talked a little bit about, you know, how we can relate this to launching. Um, (laughs) And you mentioned that, um, obviously, we can't, you know, as solopreneurs, we can't do everything on our own. Mm -hmm. Um, So, why don't we just kind of start it off there? um, and in terms of, you know, how we can benefit this of hiring someone. Yeah, in terms absolutely. Of
1: so uh, like a lot of your listeners, I started off as a solopreneur. My whole purpose of starting Essential HR was just to find, you know, half to three quarter time work for myself as we mm-hmm. raised a young family. And the business got busier than I could handle. And so that we, ha- I had two options. We either raise the prices for the clients we have and, and maintain it just at that, or we expand. And I thought, you know what, if i and passionate about what I do. And I want this part-time flexible employment. There's got to be other passionate individuals who also are looking for part-time flexible employment in the HR space. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, I want to grow the team of passionate Flexible professionals, and so we decided. To, well, we I decided to grow the team, and I can say that even as an HR professional, i probably done thousands of interviews, and I'm pretty confident in my recruitment skills. It was one of the most nerve-wracking decisions to make.
0: Yeah, because this was for your company.
1: This is my company. Like, what if I screw this up? And you know, all of a sudden, everything we've worked for for the last eighteen months goes in the toilet. Um, so it it was. It's like we call it taking the hiring leap because. Mm-hmm. Once you make the decision, you're like all in. But to get to that decision is tough. It's kind of like having your first kid, right? The first one is the scariest. You can pop out two, three, four, and five. It's like, whatever, we've done this before. But number one, that's a hard one to take on. Yeah, But I noticed with myself that there were certain things happening in my business that made me think it's time to hire. And we talked about this before, but the biggest thing was I stopped following up on sales. Mm -hmm. I let things slide like, oh, I'm not going to follow up with them. And it was almost this like psychological hurdle because I didn't have enough time to actually do the work. So I stopped looking for the sales. And then of course, your business starts coming in ebbs and flows and there's no consistency because you're not actually maintaining the marketing in the way and maintain the sales. Mm. So that was the biggest sign to me that it was time to hire within within our business.
0: Yeah. Uh, would you say that even though you're maybe not in that spot, but still being a little preventive, I guess, in terms of, you know, hiring before you actually, think you needed?
1: So one of the things I did was I hired subcontractors. And we hired. I hired them on a very flexible basis, so there was no guarantee. There was nothing that um, said I have to give you, you know, twenty hours of work a week. And that's how I started with a few subcontractors. And my first official employee was out of that. And the reason we went from subcontractor to employee because both her and I felt I wanted to provide her with consistency and with that sense of team, and she wanted that sense of loyalty to me um, as well as that security as as being an employee. So. So I would say that's a great way to kind of introduce employment situations if it works for your business. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when people are working with intellectual property, you don't want to go the subcontractor route. You don't want to, you know, give away your intellectual property to somebody who doesn't really owe you anything.
0: right?
1: Yeah, And that's another aspect to consider when, when hiring employees. So can you subcontract the same way as having? Absolutely you can. It's just depending on, you know, how do you see your team? How do you want to build that team?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so when you say in subcontracting, <clears throat> would that be the same as hiring someone as a VA part-time or you know, um, just a few hours a week?
1: A lot of VAs take on multiple clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you only need maybe five or seven hours a week, from a VA support, that might be a great option for you. But if you're starting to really see your business build and you're looking to rely on this person in a a meaningful way, you might want to have their full attention on your business Mm -hmm. and not trying to mix in with 13 other businesses that they might be managing as well. And don't get me wrong. VAs are wonderful. I've I've had them in the past as well. And if you find a good one, you don't even know that there's 13 other companies that they're working for as well. But sometimes that, that, um, I guess it's a loyalty I have a loyalty to my team. I assure them that they're going to get money, that they're going to have work. And in return, you know, they have amazing loyalty to me, which I am so grateful for, because I could never have imagined, you know, growing the team with such amazing, with such amazing people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Having an employee definitely creates loyalty. I can see that it's a benefit. Yeah. Is there any other benefit to having uh, an employee versus... Hiring a contractor?
1: So, depending on where you live, sometimes people are considered employees and you can't hire them in a subcontractor capacity. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in our province, um, if you're going to hire somebody at 40 hours a week, they're pretty much guaranteed to be considered an employee. You can't hire yeah. them as a subcontractor because you're the source, main source of their income. Mm-hmm. Um, if you expect somebody, f- for example, to be at a place at a certain time, like say in a brick and mortar, you often can't hire them as a subcontractor because they're considered an employee in most government's eyes. On the flip side, hiring an employee is expensive. Mm-hmm. Depending on where you live, you know, there may be additional employment taxes you have to pay on top of their hourly wage. You might be required to pay vacation pay or sick days or public holidays, depending on, on your state or your province. So there is an, an additional cost to hiring an employee versus a subcontractor. But yeah, I Again, those benefits of just having that team and being able to build that team, I think far outweigh um, the cost. And it's just a matter of considering the costs when you're looking at that. Again, it comes back to that intellectual property as well. If you're building systems and if you're building maybe courses or you're building specific documents, you don't really want to be giving that out to a subcontractor to be able to replicate, put their own branding on it, and also sell it in a different way.
0: I've seen a lot of people hire VAs from, you know, abroad. Uh, so if you're in the U.S., they hire maybe people from mm-hmm. uh, Philippines or someplace else, India, uh, Brazil. How is that in terms of, you know, the uh, legal aspect of everything?
1: It really depends on on where they're coming <laughs> from. Yeah. Most of the time, even if there is a legal aspect, I'll be honest, most people are getting away with it yeah. just because of the nature of, you know, I e-transfer you $250 for last week. It's when you start getting into particularly sticky situations. Mm -hmm. So if that subcontractor relationship goes bad, that's when you're going to see the problems start to become Mm -hmm. evident. So again, I'll give you an example from Ontario. If I hire a subcontractor and then I decide, you know what, this is no longer working and I don't have my proper ducks in a row from Mm -hmm. a legal perspective, that subcontractor can come back at me for specific um, money if I don't have it in place that this is a subcontractor agreement, or if they actually were kind of more like an employee, they can go after me for vacation pay. They can go Mm -hmm. after me for public holiday pay. So when you're subcontracting work to these other countries, it's not just a blank slate. Like you do want to say, okay, what is my risk? And from a really bad HR perspective, I'm going to say, you want to consider the risk. (laughs) Most people consider it and be like, I'm going to take the risk um, without actually safeguarding themselves because it's like a marriage. Nobody goes into a marriage saying, what are we going to do if we have to get out of
0: this?
1: (laughs) If this marriage goes downhill, nobody really does that. Um, Well, not many people, but that's kind of the way you have to think of an employment relationship, whether subcontractor or employee. If things go south, what does separating look like? And is that Mm. legally defensible to protect my business?
0: That's a good point. Yeah. Um, You mentioned something about uh, hidden costs in terms of having employees. Um, yeah. What are some hidden costs?
1: So a lot of people just think I'm going to pay somebody $20 an hour mm-hmm. and they budget for $20 an hour in their, in their accounting or in their bookkeeping, but employees cost a lot more that we often don't see. So all of a sudden we're paying for um, subscriptions. So all, my Dropbox costs me a couple hundred dollars a year. Now somebody else's Dropbox costs me a couple hundred dollars a year. So you're adding mm-hmm. in subscription costs, you're adding in, if you have an employee, you're technically responsible for their equipment costs. So if my employee who um, we all work remotely, we've always worked remotely, needs a new printer or needs printer ink, that comes back to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they, you know, drop their computer and that's their only way of working and I need them to work. That that comes back to me. So all of these smaller things that may come up aside from employment taxes, um, Mm -hmm. which I think you guys are well aware of, just like us Canadians, Uh, you know, in in Ontario specifically, I think you can account for about an additional 15% to cover your required sick days, your Mm -hmm. uh, public holidays and your employment taxes. So on top of that 20 bucks, here's another, my math is bad. (laughs) Another
0: three. (laughs) (laughs) Three, Yeah. (laughs) Let's say three bucks. Yeah, we'll call it three. <laughs> so
1: it's really $23 an hour to cover all those things in a year.
0: Mm-hmm. And that so adds up over a year.
1: Very quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought you were <laughs> going to say something follow up on that. <laughs> okay. So when you're doing hiring, obviously, it's important to have some documents Probably, mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to make sure that you have, like you said, you know, your ducks in a row and make sure you cover your back. Uh, what are some documents that it's important in terms of, well, both actually in, you know, subcontractor and employee?
1: Yeah. So I'll start with what I call is, you know, there's two foundational documents when you're hiring um, and I'll do them backwards. So the, f- the first one I'm going to talk about is your job offer letter. And this is that contract that says, hey, yay, we're entering... An agreement of employment. This is fantastic. Here's all the details. And then also includes that. And if things go south, this is how we're going to end the relationship. Mm -hmm. And depending on where you live, this is definitely something you want either a seasoned HR professional or a lawyer to be drafting for you. You can't Google this document. As much (laughs) as you think you can, um, contract law, you know, for us. HR people, we think it's fascinating um, when it comes to employment agreements, but for the average individual, it changes so quickly. One court case goes through and all of a sudden your offer letter is no longer valid in the same way it was 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely something you want a seasoned professional to be producing for you in in your specific situation, because you might want things like intellectual property accounted for in that offer. Moonlighting. So do you want somebody working for you and also working for you know, Joe Smith down the street doing a similar or competing right. thing. So all of those things can be you know accounted for in that offer letter. If you're subcontracting, it's the same thing. You still need an agreement that says this is what our expectations are, this is what happens if the relationship goes south, especially in that subcontractor you want it to say this is a subcontractor agreement, you are not considered an employee for these reasons. So that is really the best way to protect your business when you've made that hiring decision.
0: Any other documents that we should be aware of?
1: Yeah. So before you have the opportunity to get that job offer out there, you don't want to start recruiting or hiring before you've created a job description. Mm-hmm. People sound like, ah, I got it in my head, Laura. I, I know. I know, I know <laughs> I'll i know it when I see it. I'm just going to mm-hmm. talk to people. And But the job description is the cornerstone of all of your training, all of your communication about this role. So if you have a quality job description that outlines the duties and responsibilities, the skills you're looking for, education also includes things like what does success look like in this role? Mm-hmm. So if you're looking to hire somebody to do graphic design for you or maybe do some of your social and you find a great person who, A, you've seen their work, they can do it. It's fantastic. Um, but you don't have a quali- quantitative number attached to that. Maybe they can only put out one post a week. They're fantastic, that, but it's just one. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that any individual hiring somebody to do social needs more than one post a week. So what does success look for you? look like in this role. Maybe it's three to five posts a week. Maybe it's writing copy. Maybe it's not writing copy. If it is writing copy, how many copy, how much copy do we expect? How many emails? Because we forget that if they can do it, that's great. But how quickly can they do that? Because that could be a real... Bummer when you find out that they do one great graphic a week for 40 hours a yeah. week. So that job description is the foundation, not only for you to really get what's in your head onto paper, but for the person being hired to understand what your expectations are. Cause that person being hired also wants to know what does success look like? Cause you, we may think as people that we communicate so well, oh yeah, I communicate all the time with My team knows that they're doing great. It's, it, you know, we, we we're great, but really people don't know. Know. They don't know what's in your head. Even though we've thought about it 15 times, the person sitting in front of us doesn't really know yeah. what we're thinking about. So that job description turns into your job posting. And your job posting isn't going to be exactly the same. It's going to be your dating profile for this role that's going to entice and attract Mm -hmm. people. And then that job description is going to turn into your training plan for when this person comes on board. How are you going to make sure that they can do everything or that you've covered everything um, that they need to know? And then that job description turns into their Performance evaluation, or the the jumping point for their development plan, because it's got the expectations written right into it. So it is the foundation cornerstone of everything that you need in that employment relationship. And it's not sexy. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's not like okay for us HR people. We're like, I was just going to oh, say that <laughs> new job description. But like for the average individual, like yes. You know what I was hoping to do on a Thursday afternoon? Spend two hours staring at a document to try to put together a job description. It's it's yeah. I get it, but it's benefits um yeah. outweigh the pain and suffering that it might take to uh get it onto paper
0: and i would assume it helps you kind of qualify you know the people who apply for a job as well because then you probably won't get the people who yeah well maybe some will apply anyway but yeah. then are not paying attention to the details of the uh job well, as you say it also
1: turns into your interview guide yeah so, what are you going to ask the candidate? You can pull right from your job description about experiences mm-hmm. and past pastish, um, you know, responsibilities and teamwork. All those things that you built in. So, yeah, it's it's literally, you know, you're all in one document. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. What does the process look like from you know uh, putting out the uh, job description to posting to actually hiring someone? What does that look like for you guys?
1: So, when we help a client with it, um, we like to say that we. We take out a lot of the, the brain drain because when you're hiring for the first time, most solopreneurs who are hiring for the first time really want to have full control of that. And I totally get that. Mm-hmm. My first few hires, I would have not, you know, let anybody else do the screening or anything. Like I wanted to know what kind of quality candidates do we have out there? Yeah. But as you begin hiring more, you realize some of the resumes that you get that look fantastic when you meet them in person, you're like this just doesn't so match. Mm-hmm. And so you start spending a lot of time talking to people that you never would have talked to <laughs> originally and for a solopreneur or a scaling scaling entrepreneur, that can be a, a lot of time. Like I don't know about you, but 20 to 30 minutes is very important for me in a day. So if you're you know, getting into the hiring mode. And if you're trying to like get that first hire, just expect that you're going to come through. You know, if you, let's just throw out some numbers. So if you post for your social media marketing and you get 50 resumes, it's probably going to take you about an hour to go through them to narrow them down. And then you're going to take a look at 12. Let's, let's, let's call it 12. And that's at least how, how we do it. And we start screening small screens. So just making sure, you know, your salary is in line and the expectations um, that you have of them and that they have a view are in line. And then when you start virtually screening or in-person screening, you want to narrow it down to about three. But let's be honest and say that every of those initial screening conversations is probably about 20 to 30 minutes. So you're looking at about six hours to narrow down your top candidate to three. Right. And yeah. then you might want to do some type of practical. So if it's a, a, a social media coordinator or an administrative assistant, you might say, hey, here's a make-believe really angry Email from a customer. How would you respond to it and have them build something? Or you know, one of our last uh, hires we did, we asked them to do a blog about you know why HR consulting. Why do you want to outsource your HR Mm -hmm. and see what they could come up with in in, you know five hundred to seven hundred and fifty words to see if they really understood who we are and why we do what we do. Because when you came from corporate HR, it's very different than you know small business HR. So there, you can add in some practical to really get an idea of what they are. Maybe give them your brand standards and say, create three posts. And that will also help you narrow it down to that final candidate. So this is not a, I'm going to hire, I want to hire it by July 1st. If you want to hire by July 1st, somebody in place, you better get that job posting out today Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it is probably a six week runway at the least. And then depending on your state or province, most people give, you know, a couple of weeks notice if they're at a current job already. So then you got to wait an extra two weeks. So if your Q3 plan is to hire, that means you're starting today to get those documents into place.
0: Yeah, I have uh, I come from corporate world, and I've done several interviews with myself. And I know just sitting down with people talking to them and spending pretty much the entire day on that, <laughs> It's pretty <laughs> exhausting. You feel yeah, your energy is drained. Your yeah. head is full, and um, and you definitely feel like, uh, why did I even bother having this personal interview?
1: Well, and if you don't write good notes about each candidate
0: mm-hmm. and it,
1: aside from the interview guide, because even if you have great notes in your interview guide, there's maybe certain things that you need to write down. Like he wore a blue shirt um, or he was the one that went to Florida last week on his vacation or like mm-hmm. just those things that were help you remind. Because when you get like even three to five back to back candidates, it's really tough to remember who is who. At the end of the day, you're like, I liked Oh, which one was that again? So it's really important to take those good notes um, about what they said, as well as like the factors of what exactly wh- who were they? What, mm. what were those points um, and the red flags? Absolutely. So if if someone said, "Oh, you know," they I always think of a red flag as anybody who can't constructively give feedback about their last employer. Like if you're leaving for a bad reason, then you can't figure out how to lie to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, if you say it's your employer's fault, even if it is, it's always a red flag to me that, you know, on our first meeting, you would bad mouth somebody else. And that's not to say that there's not some really bad employers who deserve bad mouthing, but I'm just like, just lie. Just on your first one, just tell me you're looking for a new challenge or new opportunity. Don't go into the three-year tirade of... So that's always a bit of a, like, I'm like, if they were this easy to say something negative about somebody else yeah. to a complete stranger, what might they say about me who is by no means a perfect boss? You know, uh, I don't claim to have the type that that award. So I'm like, there's going to be issues that come up and I need them to be able to communicate effectively with me to let me know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So if they haven't been able to do that or show me they did that in a previous role, maybe that's a red flag or perhaps, you know. They've decided that no job gave them enough challenge in the last six months or six years even. To me, I was like, all right, well, what does challenge look like to you? And will I be able to give that to you? Mm -hmm. So really digging into those questions. And I think when you don't do a lot of interviews, you feel that inside that little something isn't like I don't understand something here. But you're a little bit more cautious to dig in and be like, well, why? I interviewed somebody last week, actually, and they just said that, you know, they were looking for a a more, for a client, more, more challenge. They want more challenge and more opportunity. I said, what does that look like to you? Well, you know, just like different types of projects. What kind of projects? Mm -hmm. Well, doing maybe like, you know, like more leadership stuff. Okay. What does that look like to you? Because if they can't define what challenge looks like or what, you know, more opportunity looks like, I might not be able to give that to them either.
0: Yeah, exactly. So
1: really digging in and having, you know, having, having fun with it at the end of the day.
0: That's a great point though. Yeah. Any other red flags that you've seen come up during these interviews?
1: So a lot of people rely on their gut. You know, we all, we, we, we love the gut check, right? Like (laughs)
0: that
1: gut. Yeah. So (laughs) a lot of people say, well, I'll just, I just know when I sit with them, I just know. And I would say, yeah, like we, Typically as you know, developing humans and developing entrepreneurs, we, we do have a great gut check, but that interview guide that you're creating off of that job description you made is what's going to keep you in line to make sure that you're hitting all of the questions and all of the points that you need to make in order to make a great hire. So I'll give you an example. When my first um, subcontractor, my main subcontractor, when I, when I went out to market to look for a few, we hit it off immediately. So the the phone conversation was fantastic. You know, we talked for 45 minutes. It was somebody who I felt connected with her resume looked great. And typically, you know, one of my downfalls is I threw away the interview guide because it was mm-hmm. connection and it was fantastic. And I just felt it in my bones. Like she is an awesome person. And she is. But what happened (laughs) when I threw away my interview guide is I also threw away all the questions I needed to ask about. Not only do you know the theoretical of performance management, but can you build it from Mm. scratch? And have you done it before? And what were the hurdles you overcame? All those questions that, you know, a seasoned HR professional should be asking in an interview got thrown out because my gut said she's an awesome person and my gut was Mm. right. She is an awesome person. Unfortunately, she couldn't do the work. She came from a different line of expertise and what I needed her to do didn't match her expertise. And it was a bad employment relationship, mm-hmm. which did bite me a little bit in the butt, but taught me a valuable lesson that I cannot throw away the interview guide, even after my you know 2000th interview in my career, because your gut will tell you one thing, but maybe you didn't ask the right questions.
0: That's a really good point. I think we were talking about the process though, from you know uh, the job posting to hiring, <laughs> so we got a little sidetracked there. <laughs> I think it was good. Uh, so we're at the point of, you know, interviewing people. Um, then what's the next step after that?
1: So if you interview, you can narrow it down to how many of your top candidates might be, give them that practical.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And then you want to do that job offer. So hopefully your interview guide told you things like, when they'd be available, start, um, what type of compensation that they're looking for, or if you've been able to post the compensation on the job posting, that's great because everybody is above board. Um, and then you want to make that job offer. And I mean, I think that's like the best part of the whole hiring experience as a, as a business owner, like it's, you know, they're coming to join the team. And it's funny because as a business owner, it's very different. I love making job offers to candidates. Uh, for clients, um, I did it in my corporate job for years as well. It's great, but as a business owner, all of a sudden I'm like, please accept, please accept, please accept. <laughs> <laughs> like, meanwhile, they're thrilled to accept, but it's just that it, there's so much more emotion to it yeah. when you're the business owner than when you ever hired in corporate in former lives in your nine to fives. So that job offer comes in, or it gets sent out. They sign it, and uh, it's created by your lawyer or whoever your competent professional is. Um, And then they start and you're going to figure out. Now, this is where it's tricky as a solopreneur, because if we had all kinds of time on our hands to create this amazing training program and onboarding experience, we probably wouldn't need to hire in the first place. (laughs) But now we're like, okay, we have this person starting. I need to get them A, B, and C. But you're also juggling D, E, and F, and you're now trying to do double duty as you bring somebody up to the level that you need them to be. So there is this understanding that it's going to be tougher at first. Right, yeah. And I think my biggest lesson from, you know, when we've had lockdown and COVID and, and you know, our kids got sent home from school was was delegation. I was not good at giving up the little things as a business owner prior to my having two kids at home and still trying to run a business. Mm-hmm. Um And that was, you know, it kind of pushed me into saying, okay, this is just a 15 minute job, but I don't even have 15
0: minutes
1: (laughs) and pushing it off to, you know, my team members who let's be honest, they do a better job of it than me anyways. So they should be doing it all the time because they're fantastic. That's why I hired them. So in my head, I'm like, okay, it can only be done this way. This is the way I would do it. And then I learned to let it go and realize that when it comes back to me, it looks even better because their ideas come together with my ideas. And it's this thing of beauty. So that aspect of hiring, let's not think that it starts at, you know, just deciding is the most emotional part. No, it goes on to, you know, giving the job offer and then training. Mm -hmm. It's all emotional (laughs) because it's our baby. It's our business. It's very different. And I think if we don't realize that, then we're going to be like, why, why am I the only one? And it's no, you're not the only one. We've all gone through it like that.
0: What's the other side of this? You know, you have somebody who gets the job offer and jumps on board, but you also have to say no to a lot of people that you actually felt like was good candidates. But unfortunately, you know, we had a better candidate. So that's also another side of it.
1: And you know what? They've probably taken up an hour, you know, if it was just a, a, an individual interview, maybe that's an hour of their day, maybe they did the practical for you. And that was mm-hmm. two hours, you know, they've invested a lot into, into your business. Um, and so treating them with utmost respect is, is extremely important. And I actually had the pleasure of about two weeks, uh, maybe six weeks after we had to decline um, a candidate for our business, someone reached out to me and they're like, do you know anybody who's looking? Mm-hmm. And it was like, here you go. <laughs> here's her name. Um, And they hired her. Like they didn't even go looking anywhere else. They just hired Mm her and and, uh, based off of one interview that they had with her, because she was already, she was already vetted. We already went through 50 people and she was, you know, top three. So it worked out really well. But so I think there's all those types of things. So, you know, with candidates that we've declined before, I've said, you know, keep me in, keep me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I often post industry things going around. If it's like for, for example, for HR or for our clients, industry opportunities, don't hesitate to reach out to me if you see somebody as a mutual contact and you need an in, like there's ways to really help other people with their role. Sometimes people want feedback. They're like, can you tell me why I didn't get the job? And that's tough. Because sometimes it's not, there's not a reason why they didn't. It was just somebody else had a different set of skills that worked better for what you were doing. So I would say tread lightly with that, because if it's practical, if it's functional information that you can give to them, um, then do it. If it's going to help them on their next interview, then that's, Mm -hmm. that's fantastic. Uh, I would hesitate to give constructive feedback to anybody who hasn't asked for it. I don't think many of us like getting constructive feedback when we haven't asked for it Mm -hmm. uh, in general. Like if we got off this call, I said, hey, Ken, can I give you some constructive feedback on your podcast? you be like, whoa, 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 Laura. Like I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. It just, it throws you off guard. So do the same with your candidates. Like if if, um, if you want to say, you know, I've got some great ideas for you uh, to help you on your next interview. If you want to let me know, just we'll, we'll set up a call and I can have that conversation with you. Wouldn't throw it out there that you, know, you need to be better prepared on these types of questions. Like that's a little bit harsh, but yeah, just doing things that if you were that candidate, how would you want to be treated?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything we haven't touched on that you feel like we need to discuss
1: no i think we've done a pretty good uh, lap through the initial hiring (laughs) stages of of scaling businesses
0: yeah um well we can maybe talk a little bit about you know people who might already have a team of you know Mm -hmm. a couple people um what does that look like in terms of everything hr Related.
1: Yeah. So if you have a team of three or four, you've gotten through those initial nerves of of mm-hmm. recruitment and, and building your building your business. And and now you're like three or four people. What is the next step with this team? Mm -hmm. And what I would encourage you to do is really dig into who you are as an employer. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm just, I'm just me and three people. Like, why do I need to know what my employer brand Mm -hmm. is? But it's really important because as small businesses, we're competing with everybody down the street, the big businesses, the medium-sized businesses, the ones who dangle a carrot to climb the corporate ladder, the ones who offer more money than us. And as small business owners, we have something to give. We have great opportunities for the right people. And so we really need to know who we are as an employer. And so when I think of, you know, our business ourselves, and and like I said, at the beginning of the show, we offer flexible part-time employment for passionate HR professionals, because when I went to market to look for it, I couldn't find it for myself. Mm-hmm. So I believe that's a unique niche for our organization. I also know I'm pretty self-reflective um, and know where my shortcomings are. So I know that I'm not going to hire somebody who needs a lot of handholding because my shortcoming is I don't give you step one, two, and three. I'll I'll help out with four, five, and six, but one, two, and three is typically, you know, a very creative zone for you to go in there with, you know, a few details and come out with something of beauty. So I know somebody who needs a lot of direction is probably not going to be successful on our team. So when I hire, that's what I'm looking for. And when I talk to people who are looking to come on our team, I'm very open about it. And it's not that somebody who needs a lot of direction is a bad employee. In fact, there's a lot of employers out there who provide a lot of direction and it's negatively Labeled as micromanaging, but that's not always the case. There's just some people who are very good at laying out steps, and there's some people who really appreciate getting the steps. Yeah. So you need to know who you are as an employer in order to find the right employees for your team. So when you're looking at the employer brand, what, what is your location like? Are you a, a brick and mortar? Are you do you come together? What is the communication style of your team? All of those things are building the culture of your internal team. And Mm -hmm. that's, what's going to help you market yourself when you're looking to grow the team. It's also, what's going to help you keep in alignment when tough decisions have to be made with your team. So if somebody is just, it's not fitting, it's no longer working. You need to know why you need to know where your values stand and why this value misalignment is happening so that you can create the culture. Because at the end of the day, like you want to control that culture as best as possible. If it starts running away on you, it's hard to get back.
0: Um, I did have a question and I just <laughs> slipped my mind. Um, yeah. Okay. Now I got it. Now I got it. Uh, so is there a big difference between, you know, getting that first employee, having an, one employee that you have for a while, and then adding on a few more employees? Is there a big difference between those two, those two stages?
1: I think the first one is harder. Yeah. Um, the first one, you learn a lot about yourself. Mm-hmm. So the first one you realize, I, d- I don't know about this. So my first employee, and again, coming back from HR, right? So HR should have all this stuff together. Um, <laughs> they, should. <laughs> they should. They should know all the answers to the questions when it comes to hiring. And so we were onboarding um, my first hire and I, and, and uh, we were talking about vacation because, you know, this is what you're allotted to vacation. And she says, okay, so how does that work? Do I request vacation or, uh, you know, does it show up on my paycheck? And I was like, well, you can just request it for when you need it. She goes, I want it on every paycheck. I hate managing vacation. I hate vacation administration. So just put it on my paycheck because I don't want you to do that. And I was like, okay. So Mm -hmm. our vacation policy now is that you get your percentage of vacation pay on every paycheck. And that came from that that first employment relationship where that was decided between her and I. Mm -hmm. So that first one, you're really getting all the kinks out. So when employee two and three came on, I was like, okay. And you get vacation on every paycheck. That's just how it works now. (laughs) So it does get easier, but you also have other people to rely on. And again, we're going back to solopreneur wearing all the hats. Mm -hmm. So you're, you now have, you know, employee two and three on board or employee one and two, and you're coming under the third, you're no longer required to sit face to face with them for eight hours a, whether it's remote or in person, because you have a team to help you instill the culture. Let them know how things go. So I think it does get easier. I think that first one is, is the hardest. And then you also now have systems. So where I had a system when I was a solo printer for doing something, and then first employee comes on board, I teach them my system. Well, now that employee, because they are fantastic, took my system, made it better and teaches mm-hmm. it to employee two and three. It's a beautiful that's, thing. Yeah, really. that's
0: a dream situation. Absolutely. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. They, it, and so again, it's coming back to that when you're hiring is, like hire for what you need mm-hmm. and hire for the future. I could have hired somebody as an HR administrator just to do the stuff, the easy stuff that I didn't want to mm-hmm. do. But I hired somebody who had very equal experience to my own to be able to be complimentary, to level everything up. And I think that's really something you have to consider as well.
0: Well, before we wrap this up, because I, I think we touch on pretty much everything now. Uh, is there any last tips that you want to give?
1: So I will, it's not a tip, but well, I guess it's, it's about 12 tips. Um, (laughs) I've
0: created
1: created an interview guide and I call it my favorite interview questions. And it's just some of the stuff that I like to ask um, for any given interview uh, for a new candidate. And it's available to your listeners at essentialhr.ca slash launching. So if anybody wants that interview guide, it's completely editable. You can take things out. You'd be like, Laura, that's an awful question. I'll never ask that. Um, Add in your own. And then you have an interview guide ready to go for any candidates that you're looking to hire without Googling.
0: That's awesome. We'll link that up in show so people can click through and find it. Um, Is there anywhere else people can find you and connect with you?
1: Yeah, so we are on Instagram at essentialhr.ca and Facebook at the same, as well as LinkedIn. We're everywhere. Actually, no, that's not true. We're not on Twitter. We're not on TikTok. Nobody wants to see HR people on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you
0: can find someone. <laughs>
1: that's true. <laughs> Nobody wants to see me on TikTok. Let's put it that <laughs> way. So yeah, we're, we're all the places, the typical places. And our website is essentialhr.ca as well.
0: Yeah, we'll link up everything in the show notes as well. And I want to say thank you for taking the time to educate us a little bit on HR stuff and uh, just the hiring process and you know the difference between uh, having a subcontractor and an employee.
1: I appreciate uh, you having me Ken. Have an awesome afternoon.
0: You too. Take care. And thank you to everybody listening and we'll catch you again next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Oh My God, I'm Launching podcast.